All right, let's see if I can pull this one off. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not in the mood. Oh, it's too late. <laughs> I have committed to doing more podcasts. I need to get disciplined. I need to get back on track now that the deer, ste- deer season is over. I'm still suffering from depression. Oh, man, it sucks. It sucks having the bulk of hunting seasons. The hunting seasons I care about being over. Um, we've got a, another week left of pheasant season, but for a variety of reasons, there are just no birds. I'm going to talk about that specific issue uh, in another podcast because that people have been asking questions about it, and people, you know, once you start going through the process and talking about it, people are like, "Holy hell, I didn't even think about all those things," and you know, now it makes sense. Well, yeah. So we'll, we'll I'm, I'm going to talk about the pheasant situation in Northwest Kansas, at least in our area. I'm not telling, not saying everywhere, but. Excuse me, at least in our area. Um, I'll talk about that in a separate podcast. And then there's a bunch of other questions that have come in uh, regarding some of the posts that I had. And <laughs> that's going to be one. That's, that's, that's what's going to kick off this uh, this podcast tonight. I wasn't even planning on talking about this. But it's going to be the, the great meat melee. The, the stupid... I posted a picture because I was. I, I was processing. I had a whole piss pile of of deer hanging in the garage, okay, that I had to just blow through um, because it was cold. It was nice and cold for those several days, and then we had a, a little bit of warm-up. Well, I, I hang the deer in my garage, and that's the best I've got. Uh, I mean, I can take them. I, I've got plenty of places that, to hang them, but the garage is the best because it's insulated, so if, if I can get the garage cold, it stays cold longer when it does warm up. I can hang it down at our other property and, and, you know, in the buildings there, but they're not insulated. So when it's cold out, it's cold in there. But when it's warm out, it's warm in there. So the temperature variation is not good. And we can touch on that here in a little bit maybe. But um, so I had them hanging in my, in my garage. But I've got all sorts of other things going on as well. And I just, I needed to get them done. And so I just whacked and stacked three deer uh, as fast as I could, broke them down and... The local uh, processor here in town does a really great job for a very, very reasonable price. So most of the time, I'm just taking them the quarters, the four quarters, uh, neck meat, that type of stuff. And I'll take the back straps and tenderloins for myself, and I'll just I'll take care of them at the house. But again, it's warm outside, and the, and the garage was starting to warm up. So I walked into the house. I filled up the, the sink with ice water, and I put the back straps in the... Uh, the entire length, you know, the uh, what six big honking back straps in the uh, water, and then started working on. I had the tenderloins out, and I just started working on the tenderloins and and getting them cleaned cleaned up. And like a lot of, and I I just wanted to ask the question. I was like, I was curious because I've some of the hunters that you know. Well, I always talk to the hunters that were out here uh, that are they come out and hunt with me and. In some past conversations, it was interesting to see, you know, people's priorities on on the meat that they take. And, and I've actually had some people that don't even think about taking the interior tenderloins. It, it doesn't even register. It's like, what? I mean, that's, in my opinion, that's the best cut of meat on the entire animal. So I just figured I would post that picture of, you know, on one side of the sink, here are the, the inner tenderloins. And then... Uh, the other side is a sink of ice water with the back straps in them. Holy, oh my goodness. 
the best thing I could say is between the com- and the comments on Instagram were were pretty straightforward. Right? I mean, they weren't they weren't that bad. I got some messages, and that's what I want to dive into. But Facebook, it it just there was a couple comments there, and a couple ideas, and and some of the the comments that I got and messages I got relayed certain ideas that I want to address here. Because the only thing I could say is for some of these people. Essentially, what I did was was create emotional damage. <laughs> oh, so there's a couple of things. So let's talk about me care a minute because you know it's it's funny to sit and and I just one little picture. Now, first and foremost, again, it's social media, folks. It's a picture. It's a picture. It's a static image, a snapshot in time. You have, unless I give it to you, you have no context of what happened prior to that picture. And you have no context of what I'm doing after that picture. It, so the, the fact that you saw me in water just sent some people just over the edge, just like, oh my gosh, you never, ever do that. Well, okay, hold on. I disagree. And we'll, we'll talk about that here in a minute. But it was funny. So, number one, it's social media, folks. Resist. And, and this is the one thing that, in, and this is going to come up in some other discussions here in the future. And that's the problem with social media. There's so many people, even if you're, even if you like the chance, even if you like what I do and what I post and you like my page and, and who Row Hunting Resource, you know, what Row Hunting Resource is about and who I am. Um, oh. <laughs> sorry, <coughs> I just sucked in a mustache hair. Uh, that was weird. Um, here I'm playing with my mustache and sucked one right in. Um, weird, I know. Yeah, tell me about it. Um, so many times we on social media, regardless if you're if you're fans of whoever it is you're following and you watch what you're watching and you see, it seems like a lot of people forget and they get lost in the moment. And and I'm guilty. I'm not casting stones here. This is something I am really trying to work at and be better on is not consuming social media to react. Rather consuming social media for either mindless entertainment and just laughs or learning something or, or trying, you know, uh, I don't know. There you go. Learning something, gaining something of value from who the pages I'm following. I've gone through and just weeded out a whole bunch of, you know, I'd come across somebody. I'd be like, Ooh, that was a cool post. And then I see something else they did. Ooh, that was a cool post. Well, I'll follow you. Because I kind of like where you're going, and I'm I'm interested in what you're doing. And then you know, a couple of weeks go down, you know, a couple of months, and you're like, okay, no, that was an anomaly. You know, the rest of your stuff is just I don't I'm not interested, so I'm out. And so I weeded it out, um, because I'm really trying to do better in myself and be a more constructive force on the landscape, whether that's just personally or or social media. And so we we. Fall, oftentimes fall into a trap of just seeing something and then reacting rather than taking a moment thinking and going, okay, what am I looking at? 
I wonder what could be going on here. And if it really intrigues you and you really do value that individual or, you know, the page that you're looking at, then maybe engage and say, hey, I'm looking at this picture. Tell what What's going on here? Because that seems weird or that seems wrong to me or something's not jiving. So give me the context. Um, so I'm, I'm sure some of these and face it seems, and this is why I don't spend much time on Facebook anymore. So trust me, I've, I, well, not, no, let me go back and reiterate what I've said in the past. If you want to follow me on social media, please consider going over to Instagram because that's where I do the bulk of my stuff. There is stuff I share on Instagram that I do not share to Facebook because Facebook is just, it, it's gotten, it's gotten more emotional. It seems in, in many ways to where I just, I'm just tired of Facebook. And so I'll check Facebook maybe once a week, maybe if I, if I post something and it, you know, it gets a lot of engagement on Instagram, then I'll, then I might go over. Cause typically I, if it's something benign, I'll just go ahead. And since it's all part of the same stinking play, I, you know, it, it gets the little thing there you want to share to Facebook. Sure. Why not? You know, it, it, it puts some stuff on Facebook for rolling resources, but I just don't engage over Facebook much. I just, I'm not, a fa- I, I've really lost interest in the Facebook um, entire premise and algorithm on it. Um, so if you're following me, come over to Instagram because I, 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 I do better stuff over there. So, um, but Facebook is where a lot of the people had the comments and, and, you know, reacted viscerally about what was going on there. And, so, but less, you know, f- j- there's some funny stuff to it, but there's also some, some legitimate discussion here. And so let's, let's have a discussion about meat care a minute, because as an outfitter, you know, yes, I'm a biologist. Yes. I've hunted my entire life. Yes. I do my own thing, but as an outfitter, as a guide who, who runs hunts and has different people in camp every year. And whether it's me down in Arizona guiding for elk, whether it's here in, um, Kansas doing the whitetail stuff, or if it's just me out in Colorado, you know, elk hunting and coming across other folks on the landscape and, and seeing what they do with their meat. Um, and then let alone dealing with processors and everything else. Um, I see a wide variety of, meat care, if we will, and how people take, how people process their animals, the amount of meat that they take off of it, um, how they take care of that meat, the whole nine yards. So let's have a little bit of a discussion. All right. So, cause I wasn't even planning on doing this one, but it, but it just, it, it just got funny. It got funny. And then I'm looking at the, some of the private messages and I'm like, okay, dude. All right, hold on. So the, the, there, there's, there's several factors here, but the biggest one was everybody was like, oh my gosh, you don't want your meat to get wet. Don't keep your meat dry. Keep your meat dry. Keep it away from water, blah, 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 because water promotes bacteria. Well, let's explore that one for a second. And let's explore it from two different ways. Let's explore that from an elk hunter standpoint. And then let's explore it from a whitetail hunter standpoint. Let, let, let's let's just let me rephrase that. Let me let's explore it from a Western hunting, like a backpack camping. You're going out for five days, seven days, whatever. You're going into the woods, into the mountains, into the valleys, and you're going to sleep in a tent or a camper or whatever whatever you want to do. We, 
you're going to be out in the backcountry for elk or mule deer or whatever. We'll cut. We'll, we'll talk there. And then let's talk about, you know, whitetails. You're right here at your own house. You can shoot them in the field and bring them back to your house like, like I do. Okay, so let's, let's talk about that bacteria thing for a second. Okay. And if, okay, how do I, how do I, I'm trying to do this. I'm not trying to be a, a jerk. Okay. But let, let's think about this. Okay. So here we are. Let, let's go down the road. We're on an elk hunt. All right. So we're going to go elk hunt and, and we're going to talk about, we want to get an elk on the ground and we want to have the elk, we want to pack the elk out. We want to get it back to the house. Maybe we're going to get, we're going to process it ourselves. Maybe we're going to get it to a processor. Let's just go through for a second and go through what the hell we're actually talking about. You say you're you worried about bacteria. Right. Okay. So we're going to go up and we're going to do, let's just say we're going to do a seven-day backpack hunt or five-day. It doesn't matter. Let's do this. We're going to go up for a week. Okay. We're, we're going to go backpack, elk hunt. We're going to go sleep in a tent for a week and we're going to go out, out elk hunting, right? Okay. We're, we're going to go out there. All right. Excellent. Now, most of us, if we're going to be backpacking in, in the woods, now, granted, I used to have a really big, you know, horse camp and I had all sorts of luxuries, you know, so awesome. I, maybe I had some uh, uh, different toiletries and different ways to keep myself clean and et cetera, et cetera. But I know how many of us go out in there and, and backpack hunt and we're going minimalistic and we're going to have our tent and our sleeping bag and our, our sleeping pad and, and our maybe a, a handful of clothes, not a lot because we we're, we're trying to cut weight. All right. So maybe we're out there and we've, we've got two pairs of underwear. Maybe they're their first light, you know, Merino wool underwear because Merino wool wicks moisture, right? Feels good. Keeps, keeps gunned a lot drier, but you know, darn well, you're sucking down what mountain house, Maybe you free, maybe you you uh, dehydrated your own meals or whatever. But most of us, what are we getting? We're eating mouse, Mountain House or some other freeze dried meal. Okay, so here we are, day one, two, three, four, movie dealing with you know, like Mountain House. All right, so we're hiking all day. We're sweaty, you know. We're we're guys. Whether we're in our fart sack or whether we're getting dressed or whether we're answering the call of nature, we're we're handling our junk, right? Down in that junk, down in that Femunda region, we're, we're all, you know, our hands are down there and Femunda adjacent at the bare minimum, right? Meanwhile, we're, we're struggling with mountain house dumps to where, you know, okay, we're all potty trained since we were kids. We know how to handle ourselves. We, we know how to keep ourselves generally clean, right? But we're still, you know, mountain house crack adjacent, pin, you know, struggling to push that loaf out and then having to clean up that peanut butter mess what so our hands are let's just say let's just say and and for a moment you're carrying wet wipes all right let's just bing good for you you've got wet wipes and you're you're gonna use some wet wipes in there awesome but you know darn well your hands are not as pure as the driven snow at this point okay so you're gonna try to keep yourself generally clean but we want to talk about bacteria (laughs) <laughs> you're worried about bacteria, right? We're worried about bacteria. All right, but okay, you, just wait, there's more. All right, so here we are with our Femunda, you know, mountain house crotch adjacent hands, okay? It's day five. All, all the things that our hands have been done, doing, all of a sudden now we get an elk in front of us. Awesome, this elk is out there, blah, 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 doesn't, I don't care how it happens, but he steps out and broad, broadside in front of us, boom, Zip, we we shoot him. It hits the ground. Woohoo! What do we do? What do we do almost instantly? 
Every one of us instantly, what, we're going to go up and grab his antlers and grip and grin and grab that thing up and run our hands over his body and be like, you mean the same elk that just came out of the wallow? You know, for the past month, he's been up on the mountain in that mud hole of an algae, giardia-infested, bear piss, elk piss and poop, deer piss, wallow, that's that's just this nasty thing, this stank thing that you can smell from a hundred yards away. He's been up there pissing in it, and if we're hunting the rut, we're talking about the fact that he's... You know, he's spraying his belly patch. He's urinating all over everything, throwing urine all over his neck. It's going to be going all over his antlers. And you say, oh, yes, but Chris, urine, urine sterile. Really? <laughs> After it's being sprayed on all that muddy, crappy, all the wallow crap that he's... And it's not just him. The other bulls on the mountain have been in that wallow. They've been pissing and crapping and rolling and stirring up the... All the bacteria that is in that wallow is now saturated in that animal's hair, his hide, and it's all over his antlers because most people are they grab the antlers like, oh, look at there's mud, all these antlers. He was in there and wallowing. Oh, that's cool. Uh-huh. And you're worried about bacteria, right? Huh? Wait, there's more. So here, what do we do? We're, we're, we've got our we've got our mountain house crack Fumunda adjacent hands running all over this piss, poop, wallow, saturated bull, all right? Even if it's dried, it's still on there. So what is the next thing we do when we get done with our grip and grin? We're going to grab our pocket, our, our knives, or whatever you want to, whatever you're going to break them down with, and what do you do? Start manhandling his hide, and you start cutting into this animal, laying him open, right? Well, if you're cutting up a deer or an elk on the side of the mountain, uh, I've done it and I've uh, helped with it, and I've watched it, Uh, you're wrestling with quarters. So here you are laying open your meat. You're laying that meat all nice and bare. Now, let's just assume for a second you are like me and you have horses, or you have the ability to, or you prefer to leave your quarters intact. So you take the whole hindquarter off. At least with that, as you're manhandling each of the quarters with your... Fumunda mountain house crack adjacent hands with the wallow piss mud bull antler hide hair hands. You're running your hands all over that quarter. But you're worried about bacteria, right? But wait, there's more. What if you're the guy that wants to debone your animal? Well, now you're cutting right into the, the the actual meat part. We're not even talking about the the connective tissue on the outside or the fat that's on the outside of the quarter that, that's going to get a lot of trimmed off anyway. No, 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 no. Now we're, we're going to cut right in there and we're going to break down the muscle groups with our nasty hands and touch all that stuff. We're going to rip those back straps out, those tenderloins out. Most of the time, we're not even going to open the gut pocket. We're going to cut a little hole and we're going to reach in there and we're going to wrench those inner tenderloins out with our nasty freaking bacteria-laden hands, right? So now you want to you, you you want to talk about bacteria on your meat. Uh-huh. Okay. So, but wait, there's more. Let's continue down this little rabbit hole for a second. So here we are with uh, with with we've just we've just smeared 
all this blood and nastiness all over this meat that we that we're putting in game bags, right? Now, what is the what what do most people say? A, you don't want to get your backpack dirty, and B, if you need to cool it down, well, you don't want to get the meat wet, right? You don't want to get it wet. So what are you gonna do? You hear people talk all the time, well, put it in a contractor bag, put it in a trash bag, or whatever. That way you drop it in the in the trash bag, keeps all the blood and that stuff in there. That way it keeps your backpack clean and it keeps you cleaner. Great! So you're gonna dump these bacteria smeared, just like how many different bacteria do we have playing in this soup right now? You're gonna take that bacteria-laden meat, you're gonna throw it in a bag where it's all commingled. That and we'll talk about blood versus myoglobin here in a minute, but all the juices, all that blood, all that bacteria swimming around in a, in a uh, plastic bag that doesn't breathe, that doesn't, that, that reduces the amount of heat transfer out of those quarters. Okay. And then, and then what are we going to do? We're going to just stash it somewhere, right? You don't want to get it wet, right? You don't want to get it wet. So let's put it in the shade. Let's, let's hang it from a tree. Now, let me, I, I get, I, I hear the criticism. Okay. Yes, if you're going to stash it, you don't put it in the bag while you're stashing it. You put it in the bag, the the contractor or the garbage bag, when you're going to pack it out. But if you start right away, it's all the same thing. You're you're taking a a load out on your first trip. I'm betting it didn't cool down that long. It was right out of that animal, right? So here it is just all just soupy, just there it is, just mixing up and just getting bacteria all over that bad chicken. And then and then what? And then what 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 do we say? We get it down to the truck. We're gonna put it in a cooler. Well, I hope you have ice in that cooler already. And most people are like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But make sure, you know, the ice is on the bottom. And then you put a towel down. And then, and then you put the quarters on top of that because you want to keep the meat dry, right? You don't want to, you don't want to have it wet because that being wet now, being wet, well, that, that promotes bacteria growth, right? Uh-huh. Okay. And then you go, what? Back up the mountain, grab another trip, back and forth, back and forth. Meanwhile, you're hoping that the meat is cooling down long and, you know, fast enough. You hope it's not a hot day, a warm day. Because if it's a warm day and the, the temperature gradient between the, the temperature of the meat, which is probably going to be hovering right about 100, 100 degrees when you kill it, okay, when you break it down, you hope that the temperature gradient is enough to rapidly cool that meat down below, the, what would they say, initially 80 degrees within the first hour. And then you hope that you can get it down below 45 degrees by in that next 24 hours. Well, you better hope that your ambient temperature and and the environment around you <clears throat> allows you to get there, right? Does it? Let's just for, let's just pretend for a second. Maybe it did. Let's say you get the whole elk out. All right, so it's been sitting. You you've been handling the whole dang thing. It's been sitting in there in that little stew of soup of bacteria from your Fomunda adjacent, you know, mountain house crack, wallow infused piss pile of just bleh, uh, in that um, all over that meat. Now what do you do? You go what? To the local processor? Okay. You bring it in. What do they do? In depending on where you are and how they handle it, sometimes you'll see the guys just grab it and they'll hang it up. They'll put a hook on it, boom, and hang it up, slide it on down through. Uh what were they just doing with their hands? Were were they sanitizing those hands that they were just touching? 
They were just handling someone else's meat. Do you know what kind of Femunda adjacent mountain house crack wallow infused? What were, what's going on? They stopped to get gas on the way. Maybe you stopped to get gas on the way back down the mountain and you were ha- over there handling the stinking gas pump handle. Like wh- what the hell's on that freaking thing? Meanwhile, you get done, you come out and what do you do? You reach in your cooler, grab the stinking quarter and hand it to the guy. Well, what did they do with their hands? I, I don't know, but I don't see a lot of those guys because they're so stinking busy. It's not like they're in there sterilizing their hands. Who knows what they've been touching before? No, they'll spray down their workplace and they might actually, between animals, if you have a really good processor, they might actually sterilize and clean, and, and maybe not sterilize, but at least sanitize and clean their workstation between animals. But I also know there's other places, no, they do not. They're cranking right on through. So what bacteria are they laying out on that table? Who You have no idea that the, the two guys ahead of you that dropped off their elk, who knows what the heck that meat looks like and what bacteria crap... So you're worried about bacteria. We're worried about bacteria, right? Okay. Now let's let's just go. Okay, look, okay, whitetail hunters. Let whitetail hunters. Okay, we we live next to our house. We have the ability to be a lot cleaner, right? We and we, heck, we can shoot the deer in the field, go gut it, bring it back, hang it up in the garage, and or where we can hang it up, and then we can work on processing. We we can control things a lot better, being at the house, right? Sure we can. You mean where you hung your so 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 you you were out in the field and I you took your shot and the shot went quartering through the animal and went through the one lung through the liver in through the guts and out through the back hind quarter. Okay. And then you gutted the animal. Okay. Did you get home and did you did you clean that animal out thoroughly and spray it out and get it really good? Well, okay. Say you did. Say you sprayed it out. Did that just get rid of all the bacteria that just went spewing through that animal? No. Meanwhile, let's just say you did it my way. You had a beautiful, you know, not my way, but let's say you made a beautiful shot and then you gutted it my way, how I do it, very clean and efficient. And then you get it back to your house and you hang it up. Where? In your garage? Great. You mean with the barn where you have the outdoor cat and the, the cat litter box there and, and the dog bed and, and everything else and, and all of your, you know, everything else that you have in your garage that you're in and out, in and out, in and out, all that dust? Or are you hanging in the barn or the horse property or in, in the in the cattle, you know, in the, the cow barn, the horse barn, the sheep shed or wherever you're going to hang it and all that dust is, you know, wafting around in there and all the bacteria is in it. You've got mice running around. you got rats in it. I know where some people, I've literally gone, I know here locally, semi-locally, there's a guy that processes deer for other people and it's literally in his back uh, shed. You've got mice and rats and everything. You got more hantavirus dust flying around that freaking all the you get the wind blowing and all the dust that gets stirred up and sweat. How much because absolutely, you know, in, in this deck of which, well, if it's not cold enough, you want to get that thing hung up and man, you want to get that hide off. You want to get that hide off and expose all that meat, all that exterior meat to all, you know, you want to be able to cool down. Okay, that's good. But how much bacteria and how much crap is actually getting stirred around that thing? Come on. <laughs> but you're worried about bacteria, right? No. You, you I think you get the point. Because I, I see some I see what people do. I've see, I mean, good goodness gracious. There's people that literally will hang a deer 
And they don't start cutting it up until there's a little bit of mold on the fat. They'll leave it sit for a week to 10 days. We're hoping that the temperature's right. But if you are not climate controlled, are you really telling me that on on average your temperature is just right? No. No, it's not. I, I monitor my garage temperature. My garage is insulated, foamed insulated. And even then I have to be very careful and watch the temperature fluctuations. Open the doors up at night and let it cool back down in there because maybe during the day all of a sudden the temperature, because the sun's shining, it was a warm day out. The temperature starts to increase and so I'm like, crap, it's getting a little too warm in here. I got to open this baby up and cool it down again. Or I have to do what I did the other day and I had to just get Johnny on it and just, just break them down. Just It was getting too warm. They need to get torn down into, into a cooler, like actual processor, or I need to get them on ice. Because that's the thing, guys. We're not talking about bacteria. We're not. You cannot get away from bacteria. You you just you can't. You're you're not going to. And quite honestly, a lot of our habits and a lot of the realities of our facilities, where whether we're in the backcountry, handling our meat with those Fumunda adjacent hands, or whether we're at home, you know. Driving down the road with a open, you know, I'm, hell, I'm driving down the road, <clears throat> dusty roads. Paw, yeah, sorry, no, my mind just went. Yeah, not WWE. I'm driving down the roads with a deer that's opened up, you know, gutted, and it's dusty as all get out. So I know there's dust and crap, whatever else is getting in there. I can spray it down when I get to the house, but spraying it down doesn't. It's not going to wash all the bacteria away. What we're talking about is uncontrolled, rapid growth. Uncontrolled, rapid growth of bacteria. You're always going to have bacteria on the meat. You cannot get away from that. You will not get away from that. The issue is, can we make sure that that bacteria does not take off? Because it can't. And that's, you know, whether we talk about bone sour or just spoiling of the meat and, and you know, the meat going bad. <clears throat> it's like a nuclear reactor. A nuclear reactor is just, it it is on the edges. Uh, I mean, a nuclear reactor is a gigantic nuclear bomb that is just being throttled back and just metered out. All that energy is just being metered out very carefully, very slowly. But if something happens to that reactor and all of a sudden you can't keep it cooled and it starts to go haywire, it'll rapidly accelerate to where there's nothing you can do. Same thing with bacterial growth. Okay, So the biggest thing that you can do is get your meat cool as cool as you possibly can, as fast as you can. The only way you're going to stop bacterial growth is to keep that frozen below 32 degrees. And, and quite honestly, you want it frozen, frozen, solid frozen. That's the only way you stop bacterial growth. You can cook a, a steak, shoe leather well done, and 
put it on a plate, and instantly the bacteria in the air that settles on that steak is going to immediately start working on that steak. So cooking something excessively, you know, overdone, just nuking it to the, to you know, over well done is irrelevant. It's still going to break down. The only way to stop bacterial growth is to freeze it. But I don't recommend freezing. There's some people like, oh, just freeze the whole thing and then I'll thaw it out and work on it. Okay, you can do that. And I've done that in the past, but then there's some problems with that as well. The best thing that you can do is get it as cold as possible, as quickly as possible. Now, the general rule of thumb, and I don't know where this comes from. I just, it, it is, it's been said, take it for what it's worth. But a lot of people will say you want to at least get it down below 80 degrees within the first hour of, of you kill that animal. That animal now is dead. You want that meat, that the even the core of the biggest chunk of meat, the hind quarter, you want the core of that thing below 80 degrees within the first hour. And then ideally, you want that entire thing below 45 degrees within the next four, 24 hours, inside of 24 hours. Because if you don't, bacteria is instantly going to start growing. It's instantly going to start working because now the body, it doesn't matter. It's going to start growing. All right? The colder it is, the slower the growth. The warmer it is, the faster the growth. So how do we cool things down quickly? Everyone talks about keeping the, you know, a lot of, not everyone, not everyone. A lot of people that had an issue with with seeing this image of meat in in water instantly were like, "Oh, it promotes bacterial growth." Okay, promotes. We already talked about your 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 animals probably already covered in all sorts of bacteria. And let me. I don't want to digress too quick. <clears throat> If we talk about just keeping it out in the air, dry, outside of water, that's fine as long as the temperature gradient between the animal, which is, again, about 100 degrees, and the outside ambient temperature is great enough to where it there's a significant gradient, downhill gradient, to where it wants to draw heat that the heat dissipates off that quarter, off that chunk of meat, <clears throat> rapidly. If the hind quarter is 100 degrees or the animal is 100 degrees and it's 85 or 90 degrees outside, having it hung in the shade is going to do you nothing because the gradient between 100 degrees and 85 degrees, 15 degrees, is not a lot. Now, if you add wind to that, and maybe you say, okay, well, maybe now we have, quote unquote, a wind chill, if you will, that may drop at another couple degrees. You're going to hope that you have a good steady breeze on it. Because as the heat dissipates off that quarter, there's going to be, if it's dead calm, there's going to be this insulating pocket of air around that quarter that's warm that's why your walls, when we insulate our walls with whether spray foam, whether we're talking about fiberglass insulation, it's trapping air pockets. 
air is a poor conductor. Okay, so it yes, it let's just put it this way. If it's 32 degrees out, you can if it's dead calm, you can walk outside with a pair of pants, t-shirt, flannel shirt, and a light jacket. And you can literally stand out there for minutes upon minutes upon minutes upon minutes upon end. 15, 20, 30 minutes maybe. If there's no wind, then you're just standing there. Because you can actually get, now it might be chilly. You are losing body heat. You might be chilled, but you're okay. Your body's okay because you have a tiny little bit of warm air surrounding your body trapped inside your clothes. Now go jump in, jump, same clothes, jump into 32 degree water. You're going to be dead within minutes. Dead. Not hypothermic. You're dead within minutes. Water is a much stronger conductor. It will transfer heat. It will absorb, not transfer. Well, yes, it can. It can either transfer heat or absorb heat rapidly depending on the gradient. So if you've got a hundred degree, let's just say it's been, uh, you, you've had it taken down, you've, you've broken it down and that chunk of meat is now 95 degrees or 90 degrees or whatever. You, so, you put that in ice water or water that's 40 degrees, that meat is going to rapidly cool. Rapidly cool. Way faster than if you just left it out in the air, in the shade, in the cool breeze, or blah, blah. So which one is shutting down bacterial growth faster? They both have bacteria on them. Especially, and this is, if you've followed Row Any Resources for a while and you're a, a subscriber to the Elk Module, you'll know I've got a video in there talking about what I do with my, my quarters. And I've shared what I do with my quarters on an elk hunt in the past. And if I'm hunting an area that has running creeks in it, like cold water streams where maybe a trout would live, the first thing that I do when those quarters get into a game bag, they get submerged in the creek. I'll actually go down into the creek and I'll create a little rock dam and I'll dam stuff or I'll find a pool that's, you know, in a bend of the creek or a log jam or something where I can, I'll, I'll submerge those quarters kabloosh right in. And I'm not putting them in a garbage bag. I actually want, I, now, this works with a high-end, it'll work with everything. I don't even care if you're using cheesecloth, sink it. But the problem with cheesecloth, it doesn't keep the meat clean. You're going to have, you know, you'll have some uh, silt and, you know, some debris that's flowing through the creek. You, if it's a clean creek, you know, flowing water. I'm not putting it in, I'm not going to go over to the wallow that is like, well, there's water there I'm, and sink. No, I'm not putting it in stagnant water, nasty, crappy water. I'm going to put it in cold, clean water that's flowing. I use high-end game bags. Like you'd have like the caribou bags or tags bags or like the kafaru uh, bags or, or kuyu bags. You know, those, the higher-end game bags. Because the tight mesh, the, the tight weave of that poly, you know, poly or canvas or nylon or whatever the, the material that they're using will keep out a incredible amount of dirt and, and silt and, and grit and everything else out of it. 
But what it does do is it allows that water to flow over those those quarters. And for me, back when I was, and it doesn't it doesn't matter, I will take the quarter off the animal. And again, here, obviously, I'm talking elk and mule deer in out west. If I'm up camping somewhere, I'm going to take the quarters off, and I'm going to take I'm going to keep the quarters intact. I'm going to put the quarters in the game bag, and then I'm going to sink the whole thing in the creek. Keeping the quarter intact keeps the the bulk of the muscle fibers protected. All you've got is that outside uh, connective tissue, fascia around that that quarter that is going to be exposed with any quote-unquote bacteria or which I've already laced with my nasty Fulmunda adjacent mountain house crack hands, right? So it protects the vast majority of meat, but that really, really, you know, 40 degree water rapidly shuts down any bacteria growth. Rapidly pulls the heat right out of that and like right from the core, like right out of the entire thing to where the entire quarter will cool down to the temperature of the water literally within an hour. To where if that... if I'm going to be with horses, or if I'm going to use my pack wheel, if I'm going to use, if I'm going to do my backpack or whatever, if I want to keep the quarter intact, fine. At that point, I can either pull that quarter out, stuff it in my backpack, and go. Because the other nice thing about having it submerged in water like that is you're humping your way out. If it's a warm day, having a cool, damp backpack behind you that's ice cold is pretty darn enjoyable. I mean, it helps cool you off and you're not sweating your nuts off as much as you would if it was dry. But if you want to keep your backpack dry, you want to keep your backpack clean, at that point, then maybe go ahead and put it in the you know, contractor bag just to contain all the water and contain all the blood that, because there you go. Let's talk about we don't have to, yeah, myoglobin versus blood. Okay, when we're talking about hucking a quarter, I'm sorry, myoglobin comes later. <clears throat> You're, you've got blood in there, man. There's going to be blood. That's why you put it in the contractor bag. It's not myoglobin that gets your backpack all bloody. It's blood. It's blood. It's coming out. It's blood. Sinking it in a creek in ice cold water that's flowing will just pull so much of that blood out and wash it right away to where when you do put it in your contractor bag or you do put it in your, your uh, backpack or you do put it in your panniers, you have such a less lesser load of blood that you're going to have to deal with. But the big one is it shut down the vast majority of bacterial growth right now. Right now. And if you get that quarter in the backcountry, if you get it in that creek, I'm talking about in the water. I'm not talking about suspending it over top of the creek. I want it in the water. If As long as it's clean, cold, running water. I want it in the water. Because I want it to pull all that heat out rapidly. I want it to pull as much blood out of that and wash that blood away as rapidly as possible. Because it may be several hours from where I killed it to where I can get it to the truck. In that time frame, that quarter is exposed to my body heat, maybe, my horse's body heat, 
or it's at very least going to be exposed to the ambient temperature of the air around you. If it's 70 degrees, then it's 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 going to be exposed to 70 degree air. If it's 80 degrees, it's going to be exposed to 80 degree air. And if you've got it in a black contractor bag, guess what? That's going to be soaking up. And if it's in a, a, a backpack that's made of you know Cordura nylon or whatever, infrared radiation, that's all going to be soaking stuff up. So unless you've got that quarter really cool... While you're packing it out, you're allowing bacterial growth to continue on that meat, especially if you've deboned it and all of that meat now has surface contact of bacteria. Is that, is that, are those quarters going to go bad on you? Well, maybe not as long as when you get it to your car or truck or whatever, you can get it down below that 45 degrees. So that really shuts down that growth. But if you can't do that, what you're doing is you're just, rather than rapid expansion of bacteria growth, you've got moderate expansion of bacteria growth. It's happening whether you want it or not. The only thing that shuts it down, it's again, it's not that there is bacteria on it. It's the fact that the bacteria is growing. How is the bacteria growing? It's got warm conditions. And I know what you're saying, warm, moist conditions. Sure, but are in the backcountry, are you dealing with a dried chunk of, of meat? No, you're going to be bloody. You're going to have some of that, you know, uh, there, I, don't, I don't need to get technical. There's so much moisture and so much fluid and so much blood and everything. It's going to be damp. It's going to be damp for a while. Now, you can let it get a skin on it, but did you let it get a skin on it by hanging it? in a dry condition and was the temperature low enough to where it was able to shut down that bacteria growth in some of our early season hunts oh no you're not it may dry but you've got bacteria working under that skin under that dried skin that little crust that you know that dried on that's fine that it dried there but the bacteria under it between that dried layer and the the moist underbelly uh, uh, under that meat is going to be growing. The only thing is, is get it cold now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The best way to do it is throw it in a creek. Now, if you don't want to have, if you still don't believe that having it, you know, if you believe that putting it in the creek and putting it in the water is going to cause more problems, fine. If you want, put it in a contractor bag, tie that sucker up, and then put it in the creek. We can debate it all you want. I guess we'll touch on it here. When you get that meat back to the cooler and you throw it in the cooler and then you get it down to the, whether you process it at home or whether you take it to a process or what do they do? What do you do? You pull it out and what? You run it under, I would hope, you run it under some water. You rinse that stuff off. You white, you wash, quote unquote. You spray it with water. Is that removing bacteria? No. It's going gonna, it's gonna to brush off some bacteria, but all you're going to do is remove any nasty that you don't want to eat because then you're going to what? Walk over to the, the cutting board and you're going to start cutting it up, trimming it up. Meanwhile, again, that, ba- that meat has bacteria on it. Your hands are going to be touching the exterior bacteria-laden meat, and then you're going to start cutting it up, and then you're going to start handling those steaks. You're going to start handling that stew meat. You're going to be dropping those chunks of meat into the grinder and handling the burger that comes out of it to where you are 
there is no way that you're not creating a soup of bacteria around that meat. The issue is whether or not the bacteria took off and, and started racing on you and growing. Once you get it packaged, you throw it in the freezer, it goes sub, it, it, it freezes solid. That's when the bacteria growth stops. That's, that's the only time it stops. <clears throat> then when you thaw that, ba- that bag of, of meat out to cook it up, later that night or whatever, a month, two months, a year down the line, you pull it out, you thaw it out, right? What do you do? If you're like me, you probably, because there's blood and everything else in the bag, drain it out, maybe you rinse it off, pat it dry with a paper towel, season that bad chicken up, and you throw it in the, whatever, on the grill, on the smoker, in the, in the skillet, whatever. But what you do is you end up in because remember, the bacteria is all the way around that thing. It's all it's on the outside. But most of the time, if you're properly cooking your meat, you're bringing the temperature of the exterior portion of that meat, where all that bacteria is, to a higher degree to where it denatures that bacteria, kills it, completely makes it inert to where you don't have to worry about it. Like it, I get, Anyway, you're going to cook it. You're going to kill it. You're going to consume it. You're going to eat it. And you're not even going to know it's there. The issue is, is whether or not that meat is clean. That's it. That's it. Okay? And so... That's what I do in the backcountry, and I will put it in the water. Absolutely will put it in the water. But even here at the house with whitetails, if I have the luxury of the temperature working in my favor, and I have time to work on the animal at my leisure, or at least in a in a uh, moderately efficient, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? If I have time to work on it. No. Do I, do I sink it in water? No. If I shoot a doe out in the field and it's 23 degrees out at night, and again, this is why, I, I mean, yes, I like hunting the rut, whitetails during the rut for the behavior, but most of the time for my meat hunting, I'm doing it late season, after the rifle season. So I'm December to January, okay? It's usually cold, or I can usually find it to be cold. Now, granted, I'm looking at my buck on the wall right here. The buck, I, the, the last buck I killed out here, it was right before Christmas, 72 degrees out. That's why I hunted the winter wheat, because I knew that the deer were going to be out on the winter wheat. It was 72 degrees that day. Well, guess what? The sun went down. It wasn't 72 degrees after the sun went down. It was about 40, like maybe 30-some degrees that night. I'll bet you, it, no, it was not 40. I know for a fact it wasn't 40. It was probably in the 30s that night. So even though it was 70 degrees when I killed him, I got him gutted, you know, opened him up, gutted him out, and I got, I split open the chest cavity. You can do that with a buck that you want to mount. You can literally do your cape cuts around the brisket and all that type of stuff and get that hair and the, and the, and the cape out of the way so that you can still open up that chest cavity, pull all the lung material, I, I, everything out from the trachea all the way to the pooper cleaned right out. But it's cold at night. And the does that I, you know, when I went and hunting those past couple nights, you know, the, the last does I killed, it was between 25 and 30 degrees out when I killed them. And then at, you know, by the time I'm out there gutting them, it's, you know, 18 to 20 degrees out. Okay, that temperature gradient, that's not a problem. It's freaking cold. And then I can take it in, in the back of my truck, which is cold. The bed of my truck is cold. I don't have a topper or anything on it. I've got the carcass laid wide open and I can just let that heat you know, dissipate rapidly and I can keep my garage door open and let the garage cool down to 
30, 40 degrees in here and then hang it. All right. So if, if it's cold and I can keep my garage cold, I'll let the thing hang quite honestly, because I do want the enzyme. Okay. And that's the other thing too. There was, there were some other people, this, this comes up all the time and it came up here. Bacteria is not what is breaking down. This bacteria is not aging your meat. Bacteria is spoiling your meat, making it bad. The ends break the enzymes inside the cellular structure of the muscle fibers and between is what starts to break down and that's what starts to break down and, and age your meat and tenderize your meat. Okay, it's the enzymes, not not bacteria. You do not want bacteria growth. You do want enzymatic action. Okay, that's why when you go to a really nice steakhouse and you want the 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 forty five day old dry aged porterhouse steak. It was in there at what thirty six degrees or forty three degrees, whatever, whatever they're they're aging it at, you know, forty three degrees or whatever. It's shut down almost every ounce of not every, not every. It shut down the vast like ninety eight percent, ninety five percent of of bacterial growth. But it's the enzymatic action that's breaking down that and aging that meat. Okay. But again, they're keeping it just hovering above freezing, really stupidly cold to keep that bacteria growth in check or really shut down to a great extent. All right. So if I can do that in my garage and I have the temperature that will allow me to do that and allow that animal to hang, I will actually allow that animal to hang. I don't mind letting it hang for five days or a week if the temperature is 40 or, you know, 45 degrees and under. And quite honestly, for me, in that regard, if it's if the temperature gradient when I killed that animal was really, really cold and I can let that animal sit overnight in that stupidly cold environment, I will actually leave the hide on the animal. This is one of the rare occasions where I say I like leaving the hide on my deer as it's hanging if it's cold now because and I and I say that because it has to be cold it it can't be just oh it's cool no it needs to be cold because if, if you think about it you've got the hide with a hair that hair is insulative okay and especially it's their winter fur so there's a lot of insulating value to that hair so you're not and then you've got under that you got the hide and then under that you've got layers of fat if you've got a healthy animal so you've got the muscle a big layer of fat insulating the hide insulating, and then this, you know, two inches or inch and a half, two inches of thick of, of insulating hair. You're not losing, me, you, excuse me, you're not losing heat out of the backside of the ham of that, that, that deer very rapidly at all. What you're doing is you're losing heat through the hip joints. I, I will split the pelvis and I've got a video. I need to build it. Uh, for the website, um, I'll, I've got a video that I need to edit and put together to show you how I gut my animals. And, and there's a lot of people that say, oh, I know, you know why we know how to do that. Yeah, okay, maybe you do. But I've been here, uh, been there, done that. I've watched a lot of our hunters come out and they say they know how to gut something. And then invariably, I just say, hey, that that that's fine. I tell you what, as the guide, I'll do that for you. It's more along the lines of just just get out of my way so we can get this done clean, quick, and more importantly, clean. Quickly, yes, but clean, like clean, clean. 
because again, I have some repetitions. I've done this before. Some of you that only shoot one deer every other year or a couple every couple years or something like that, and you've never gutted something. Mostly, you know, a lot of Western guys that come out here to to whitetail hunt, they don't gut things. They they do the gutless method up in the mountains. Okay, so they don't know how to gut stuff. But again, I digress. I'm gonna split that pelvis open. I'm gonna split the brisket the, or the sternum open. And when I do that. For the hind quarters and the back straps and the front quarters, I'm really not losing heat out of that meat through the fat and hide and out the exterior part of the body. What's happening is the internal cavity inside the rib cage along the inside of the backbone that is attached to the inside of the back straps that is exposed to that really cold air. It's pulling heat out through there. The the pelvis and the hip sockets and the hip bones, that gets opened up. It gets exposed there. The heat is dissipating out of that animal through that open, exposed chunk of meat and bone. So it needs to be cold in order for that meat to lose heat fast enough to where it doesn't go bad. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. So, no, if I can cool my meat down, if, if when I shoot my deer out here, if it's cold enough and that deer, the entire carcass goes just above freezing within a matter of hours, uh, no, I'll leave the hide on to keep everything clean and keep ambient bacteria off of all the meat that I want to, you know, finally cut up and process. Granted, however, when I start grabbing the hide and I start pulling the hide off and I'm handling it, of course, I'm going to be getting my hands dirty. I'm going to, whether it's gloved hands or not, I'm going to be getting my hands dirty and eventually I'm going to be transferring the bacteria from the hair and the hide and the animal that's, you know, and and all the ambient stuff that was around me to the, the chunks of meat that I'm in quarters that I'm handling. But it greatly reduces the exposure of that animal to all the ambient bacteria that's blowing around in the dust and that, you know, cat litter, cat fur, hair, dog fur, mice, rat, whatever, coon, poop, rot, wherever you're hanging your deer, you're going to have all that bacteria, ambient, environmental bacteria flying around. So the more I can keep my animal covered, I like it. But sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to get the hide off of it. Well, again, if the meat is cool, fine. I don't have to sink it in water. The only reason why I put it in water is to cool it down. I might run it underwater or I might fill up a sink, sink, wash it off if it got, you know, really, really bloody, you know, depending on where the shot went or depending on, you know, because you, if you ever process the front quarter, doesn't matter how, whether you hit right smack dab in the shoulder or if you just double lung them, that, that connective tissue, the trauma, you get blood all through all that gelatinous connective tissue. You know what? Sometimes it is nice to run it under a, 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 a sink full of ice cold water and let the blood get out of there. And then you can take a paper towel and you just grab all that just gelatinous, nasty. And it, it makes it so much easier to clean up rapidly. But no, if, if, the, if the meat is cold, no, I don't, need to, I don't need to put it in water. But guess what? If it starts getting hot, if it starts getting warm, and I can't keep that meat cool, and I need to process it rapidly, guess what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to fill up my sink full of water, ice cold water, my municipal tap water that's treated, that has very little bacteria in it. Okay. It's treated tap water from municipal water source. I'm going to fill up a sink, throw a whole bunch of the tray of, you know, my, I've got the, you know, most of us now have that not little ice cube trays. We're talking about the bucket of ice that's in our freezer. <laughs> throw that. All. I want that thing ice water. Cool that meat right down. Number one. Number two. Yes, I do want to get blood off of it, depending on the quarter that's going in there. Now, granted, the piece, the picture that I showed you was of backstraps. No, the backstraps were not covered in blood per se. But there was some hair and there's some other stuff just from you know handling and blah, 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 blah. So I just put them in the water just to get them cold while I was get, keep them cold because quite honestly, I don't have an extra chunk. I've got three refrigerators and because of what's in them, I've got stuff in them. Now I could have in the past, I have taken a tray, put the back straps in the tray on some paper towels or whatever, and just put the entire back strap or whatever in the refrigerator. That's fine. But that's if I need to keep them for extended period and before I can work on them. In this case, I was going to be working on them in a matter of minutes. I just needed to throw them in, keep them cold, rapidly get the temperature down in them, and then go back out to the garage, finish breaking down the rest of the deer, get all the quarters in the cooler and get them down to the processor so that they could start on it. And then I got back to the house to where I can work on my backstraps. So it's in ice water for a few hours. But even if you left it in there for a while, as long as it's cold, cold water, you're still shutting down bacteria growth. Bacteria cannot grow fast when it's cold. That's the key. Because then I can't. Now, granted, that myoglobin, wherever you're saying, oh, you're, you're not leaching blood out of the out of the meat, muscle fibers, you're you're le- you're leaching myoglobin. Blah, blah. Okay, yeah, okay, yes. And there were some people who were like, oh man, enjoy that gray meat. You're just taking all the flavor and all the meat. No, yeah, okay. If you've ever done it, which you probably haven't, but if you have, you know, all you're doing is leaching out maybe the first two millimeters or so through a couple millimeters, depending on how long you're soaking it. I mean, if you're soaking it in there a week, maybe. <clears throat> you're going to lose a lot. But you're you're talking about soaking off like the myoglobin from like the, what? Let's just say five millimeters around the edge. Meanwhile, the entire, the, the entire thing is clean. Okay. And you're, you're leaching out maybe five millimeters of the myo, myoglobin. No, trust me. That chunk of meat is as juicy, as tasty, as succulent, as sweet as any other of your favorite pink parts, okay? So, no, there's not an issue with taste. There's not an issue with texture. There's not an issue with anything because quite honestly, you take that out of the water, you cut up your steaks or whatever, do whatever you want, put it in a uh, uh, freezer bag, you know, your your vacuum bag, blah, 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 what, however you're going to wrap it, throw it in the freezer. You pull that thing out and you thought and that, that, you know, when you go to eat it, you'll have no clue that anything was ever done. It it diffuses across the whole dang thing. It, you're, you're not leaching out your meat and your 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 taste. Jeez, oh, Pete. But here's the thing. I know people, like I said, there will be people who will take the hide off and they'll leave the, the carcass hang until there's mold growing on the outside. That's how they know, okay, well, it's it's aged enough. 
man, you better darn well hope that your temperature was good enough, low enough, all right? And then you've got all that ambient air bacteria floating around on it, okay? I mean, that's the thing is, and then I, I, it, some people are like, oh, no, you can, all you need to do is just put it in the refrigerator. Okay, but again, you just handled it. You, you put it, and especially if you, you put it with paper towels and you set it on paper towels and you put some paper towels over it. Okay, well, then the paper towels get damp. It, it sweats inside the refrigerator. Unless you have the uh, something to, to dehumidify it, it ends up sweating in there. It stays damp in there for a while. You're still going to have, it, it's still a damp, now you're damp and with oxygen. A lot of people aren't thinking things through. They, 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 you, you've done what you've, what you've always been told, which is good in many cases. But again, we got to think about what ex- actually is the mechanism by which is, things are happening. It's the growth of that bacteria. And then the other, oh, then the other one. People are like, oh, no, no, no. You want to, you know, take the, the hide off, then, then it'll get that skin over it. And then that skin will seal it. And then, you know, then you don't get bacteria inside. Now, granted, the bacteria that's between the skin and inside that material that's in that zone is going to be active. But no other bacteria from the ambient outside is going to be getting in because you've got that protective hard skin. It gets dry. And then when you go to process your meat, you you know trim that off and blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, yeah, you trim that off. I've literally seen people's deer hanging to where the, the, the literally the, the, the inner tenderloins, they never took them out. They're, they're useless. They're useless because they're just dried up strips of, of beef jerky at this point. They've dried out so badly. Now you can go sink, (gasps) blasphemy. You can sink them in a, uh, sink full of ice water and you can rehydrate some of that. And and it will, some of it will bounce back, but I've seen some where the, the amount of trim loss on that carcass is exceptional. You're, you're trimming a hell of a lot of that skin, that dried up skin off of your meat to where, how, how many pounds of meat are you discarding? Now, if you're saving it for your cats or your dogs, treats, and you know, putting in Ziploc bags for your, for animal treats. Hey, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I do that. Well, my scraps and, and this, the, the trimmings and that type of stuff, we do, we save them and we meter them out for treats for the dogs and, and, and the cats and stuff. So, and I'm sure I'm going to get criticized for that. I don't care. Um, but yeah, we, we make use of that. But there were times when, no, I didn't because we didn't have the dogs. We didn't have as many cats or whatever. And so it just got thrown away. And I've seen a lot of people where they just throw it away. And I mean, it's a, it's a chunk of 10, 15, 20 pounds of, tr- of, of meat trim. Holy freaking hell, man. It seems like a real big waste in my opinion. But again, it's my opinion. I don't care. As long as you're making use of that animal in an ethical manner to the greatest extent possible, hey, it, it's on you. It, it, obviously, we are well within the bounds of what the law states here. We're, we're just talking about gradations of how we take care of our meat. But no, I have no problem on sinking meat in ice cold water for the purpose of cooling it down and shutting down bacteria growth for cleaning and cleaning that meat and helping remove blood, actual blood out of stuff. 
keeping that meat hydrated to where I don't have a lot of excessive trim loss from it. Now, one of the Jamie, Jamie comes out here and, and hunts with me um, as often as he can. He, I saw your comment in there. You know, well, are you gonna are you gonna take a porterhouse steak and sink it in the in the sink? Well, if it came from a reputable uh, meat processor, the answer would be no. However, I will say I have taken. I, we had one of the last elk that I was involved with. Uh, one of our one of my last elk. We took it to a meat processor, um, and I'm not going to publicly crush them because I don't know what the story was. I don't. I don't. I. I have no idea. We took it to this meat processor. They were very nice. They were very accommodating. They did it quickly. Uh, they. They took care of us. They. They really took care of us. From a convenience standpoint, we get the meat back. I decide to, we again, and this sucks, and I hate it. This is why I almost never take my, okay, so tenderloins never go to a processor. They never see the inside of a freezer. They, they get eat, they get and eat, they're eating fresh. Backstraps anymore, I do not take to a processor. I can do backstraps myself because every time I take backstraps to a processor, I get it, I'm, I'm not accusing anybody it just seems like I get way less. I know what backstrap I gave you. I've cut up backstraps. I know how many pounds of backstrap I gave you. And I'm telling you, just cut it in two pound chunks. Don't cut it into steaks. I want them, you know, like, let's just say a, like an eight to nine inch long chunk. Because later on, I want to cut up that that, that chunk, however I want to fix that backstrap. So I know how many chunks I should be getting. And it almost invariably, I get it out of the process, get it from a processor. I'm like, that ain't all my backstrap. I'm sorry, it's not. So anyway, we get the meat back from the processor. We get back home. I open up a chunk of steaks. And I'm picking pine needles out of the package. Pieces of bark, pieces of dirt, literally the environmental debris that came into the processor on my elk quarters ended up in my finished packaged processed meat. So, Jamie, <laughs> yes, I did run, I did soak and run some of those packages under some water and be like, what the hell? And I had to clean it out and pick it out, pick the dirt out, pick the pot, just, so, yeah, if you're dealing with a, if you're, if you're buying a, a very nice porterhouse steak, I hope you don't ever have to pick dirt out of it. But if you do, Guess what? It's going into some water. It's going under some water. Whether it gets rinsed off or it gets soaked and and worked out, I don't know. I I'll call that one as it goes. But I do not worry about having meat exposed or submerged 
in cold, clean water. Warm, dirty water? Hell no. Again, yes, it's warm. Bacteria grows. Yes, you can have this soup of bacteria in there. Sure. But you're sti- whether it's outside or in the water, you're going to have bacteria growth on it if it is warm. Use cold water to your advantage to rapidly reduce meat temperature, rapidly shut down uncontrolled, excessive bacteria growth. Okay? Just cold, clean water. If you want to talk more about it, we can we can talk more about it later. Um, but anyway, but that's the other thing too. I try, I'm really going to try to make, a, I, I, there's going to be times where it's going to be some grips and grins and there's going to be some fun stuff that, that I post on social media. There's going to be those things that are, you know, some people are like of political nature or non-hunting related nature or whatever. I'm like, hey, if, if it makes you think, if it made me think and it made me engage my brain to where I was like, hmm, um, that's interesting. I, I may share some of that stuff. I'm going to try to make my page less about, you know, ooh, look at me, look at me, look at me, and being less reactionary and more along the lines of what can I help share information that will either make you think, give you some knowledge, uh, make you better at whatever it is that you're doing or you're trying to do or what what you want to do. That That's kind of what I'm doing. So understand, if you see something that I post, I'm hopefully there's, there's, and I may, maybe I won't be perfect all the time, but hopefully there is enough, uh, in the caption, in my, you know, in my explanation of what I'm posting, what you can read, hopefully there's enough there that will give you, uh, something to think about. Um, and in the case of this one, where I was like, which one do you prefer the backstraps or the tender ones? Just understand. Let's use this as an education tool, an opportunity. You might look at me and you're like, you are a dumb ass. Okay, well, rather than saying, what the hell are you doing? You can ask, but also if you think, there were some comments and they were like, well, this is what I think, this is how blah, blah, blah. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Do that. I want that engagement. I want that feedback. I want that interplay because you might very well bring something to the table that someone never else, someone else never even thought of to where it increases the educational benefit that somebody has engaging this page. That's awesome. I think we need, absolutely, absolutely do it. Just be careful. I would, no, you don't have to be careful. You can do whatever the hell you want. And and I'm not saying, and that's the other thing, unless it's just blatantly egregious, you know, rude, disrespectful, um, harassment, that type of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to censor what you say. I'm going to, I'm going to put my thought out there. I'm going to put a post up and then I'm going to let you engage it. Um, if you want to be a dumbass and, and show everybody that you're a dumbass, Go for it. I do. Sometimes I'm a dumbass. I probably am. And there it is for all the world to see. So, okay. So if someone wants to get on in the comments and be a dumbass, I say, go for it. Let the world see that you're a dumbass and let everyone judge you based on what you engage and how you engage. But let's, let's be careful. And I'm, and I'm telling you, I'm guilty of this myself and I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying my best. 
I'm trying to be less reactionary and emotional on things and more cerebral and thinking and and offering it. I'm trying to extend a benefit of the doubt when it can be done and when I think there's there's something I'm like, mm, I'm not sure. Engage in a constructive question. Many, many, almost everybody did. Um, there was just a couple that, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so for those of you that were curious about what I was doing and why and, and my rationale, I hope this little discussion um, shed some light on that. And, you know, I'm sure it's going to, some of you probably vehemently disagree. And if you do, hey, chime in, let me know. Uh jump over message whatever message me because there's a pile of messages that uh, the next several uh podcast discussions i'm going to do are going to be stemming from in in ways questions that have come in over these past couple weeks that i wanted to address for folks and and it that's a great way to engage send me a private message through instagram and pose some questions challenge my thinking on some things and and offer up a a, a, a rebuttal or a discussion and if you, if you really are an expert or you know if you have some legit uh comments maybe i'll just say hey let's just do a podcast and let's sit down and chat about it and let's let's share that information so that's a great way to engage um and then we can have these longer discussions and whatever but anyway i'll stop rambling that's long enough for tonight um I've been trying to tackle getting this done these past several days this week, and it's been beautiful, beautiful weather. And so I've been trying to, you know, I've been neglecting getting my dog out in the field just because I've been so busy with all the other stuff. And you know, like I think we've said he's, he's ten years old, and I know his day. He's he's man. Oh, again, we're gonna have a pheasant. I'll save it. I'll save it for the pheasant discussion. Jep is in his prime right now, and I mean he is rocking it. I mean he is he is on it, man. Oh, and we just don't have birds. We just don't have birds. Uh, but anyway, I'm trying to get him out as much as possible. So these past couple of days were really, really nice. And there was stuff I had to do outside. I wanted to spend time with dog and get him out there. So here we are, Sunday night. <laughs> Almost midnight again. <laughs> but I said, I promise I'm going to be, I will, I will put out at least, at least a podcast a week. Shooting for every Monday. So here we go. I'm going to head, kill it, head into the studio, or head to the computer, get this all loaded up, and uh, I'll talk to you guys here shortly. Thanks.